This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Today on Shareable, I'm excited to share this conversation with my guest, Mark Monchek. Mark, for my listeners who don't know who you are, may not be familiar with you, uh, what are a few of the most important things for someone to know about you? Most important, Jeff, is I'm a father and uh, recently a grandfather of two. So I've had the great honor of bringing a life into the world and then seeing my daughter bring two lives into our family world. And I'll talk a little bit about that today. So that's the most important thing. Uh, also, I am a very good friend. I try to be the best friend to a whole community of folks. And uh, I am founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab. And our mission is to support business growth through expanding consciousness. So we work a lot with companies around their belief systems, how they see the world, and really shifting from scarcity to abundance, from uh, exclusion to inclusion and from you know up and down hierarchy into a much more collaborative and co-creative environment and that's where the world's going and that's where we hope to make the biggest contribution yeah i love it man and and there's so much of that that i vibe with and i overlap with um and uh, i want to start with the fact that you opened up with uh being a father and then a grandfather i really uh i can appreciate that i have a a toddler and i have a 6 month old and i can't even imagine what it's like the second time around when you see the the next generation down, I see it with my my dad and with my uh, my wife's uh, parents. I just can't imagine what a head trip that is to go that next level down. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, as as a father, there's a great deal of pride, a great deal of fun, a great deal of excitement and learning, bringing a life into the world. You know, and for most dads and most most parents, there there's a certain amount of hey, I, we did this, we actually we actually created a life. And then I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing my children get up and they go to school and there's each benchmark and then they maybe they grow up and do this or that. And that's fantastic. When you see your child bring a life into the world and see her as a parent, that is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I, you know, you imagine it in your mind, but when you see it, it's just absolutely extraordinary. It's so extraordinary. So I go, when I go to visit my grandchildren, I'm in awe of my grandchildren. I'm also in awe of my daughter and her husband and how calm they are and how gracious they are and able to do all the crazy things in, going on in the world and be focused and present for their kids. Because my parents were not quite like that. They, you know, they had a lot to evolve and they had a lot of challenges that we don't have. So yeah, it's absolutely just a beautiful experience. That's really cool. Well, uh, hopefully one day I'll get to experience such a thing. Uh, I also just want to appreciate that you talked about how a lot of the work that you're doing right now is sort of, you framed it as this is where the world is going. But I also want to point out that you've been doing this uh, for a little while. And I want to make sure that we jump back to that because it could sound like you're capitalizing on a trend, but I want to make sure when we get into your origin story that we we really showcase that this isn't you jumping on something, but this is something you've been doing for a while. But I want to start out with a big question. And you seem like the kind of person that would dig on a question that's this big. Um, but what's the dent you wish to make in the universe? 
Jeff, I want to change the way business thinks about itself. So for hundreds of years, businesses thought, you know, our primary motive is to make a profit. And then we make a profit, then we can give money to charity. So you see the iconic entrepreneurs, you know, of the Gilded Age, you know, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, uh, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, right? They built amazing companies and they built amazing charities and nonprofits, right? The or Andrew Carnegie, the Carnegie Foundation, the New York Public Library, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation, Rockefeller University, you know, goes on and on. And in doing that, they also did a lot of exploitation of labor, exploitation of the planet. And they didn't know what that was at the time. I'm not saying they were bad people. They they did what was understood to be the consciousness of an entrepreneur at that time. So now we're facing, you know, unprecedented uh, climate change. We're uh, unprecedented, you know, inequality of opportunity, which we always thought was the pride of the United States, all kinds of situations that were partially created by businesses not taking responsibility for the resources that they use and the impact that they have, right? So Amazon, which I love and hate, like many, many people, right? So they, you know, they put about 785 million tons of debris and toxins and garbage into the planet, and they were taxed at a rate of 6% you know, in 2021. So, you know, there's a there's a misalignment between what businesses receive and what they give. And and Amazon is a great example. They give a lot. They certainly create incredible number of jobs and incredible number of entrepreneurs have made their living in 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 Amazon. And also there's a negative effect that we have to take responsibility for. So that's a long answer. The short answer is I want business to change the way it thinks about itself, be more conscious about our commitment and our responsibility to the customers, to the associates, and to the communities we do business in. I love it. I do a lot of um, brand work. So when I do brand work with clients, I'm not talking about their logos, fonts, and colors. I leave that up to someone far more creative than myself. But I will always do the kind of brand work about what would you do even if it cost you money? Like really getting down to what is the purpose? What is the reason for your existence that goes beyond making money? And I believe you have to start there before you get into the conversation around how you make money so I ask my clients oftentimes questions like, you know, what would you do even if it cost you money? What would you do even if it didn't make you any money? Uh, who are you out to help? How are you out to make a change in the world? And we start there and only then can we start to develop out what is the messaging around your products and services and things like that. So I really appreciate that you're going steps even further. You're dealing in sort of the broader strategy, leadership and culture. So take me to the start of your story here. Every hero has a story. Everybody who's doing work like this, uh, trying to change the world, came from somewhere. And I'm curious, what are some of those early seeds that may have led you, that when you look back in retrospect, it, it all makes sense that you wound up here? What a great question. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to be concise about this because I could speak for hours about this. So I was brought up at the intersection of business psychology and art. So on uh, my father's side of the family, they were all entrepreneurs. They started a uh, family business, still exists today. They're in the toy business. On my mother's side, uh, her father was an entrepreneur and had a fine artist brush business, which was sold to Binney and Smith, the maker of Crayola, Crayola Crayons in the 1968. And my mother was an artist. So my father grew up and he was a doctor, became a psychoanalyst, psychiatrist. So I had the understanding how entrepreneurs think and what motivates them in the psychology side. I had the entrepreneurship side on my grandfather and on my uncle's side. And then I had the art and my mother was an amazing 
painter and sculptor and writer. So all those three kind of converged to me. So when I was three years old, I had a sense of something bigger in the world. I had a sense that there was something out there. God, universe, the grace, divine, whatever you call that energy that's bigger than us. And Jeff, I used to go to work in my little sandbox in the backyard with a little blue uh, shovel, and I thought I could dig my way to China. I knew there was something out there far away called China. I don't know if it was a TV show or a, a magazine my mother had. And I would go and I would dig. And I think if I could dig my way to China, I would prove that there was something bigger actually existed. Well, obviously, I didn't get there with a shovel. But I realized that there was something bigger out there. And my parents didn't see that in me. You know, a lot of a lot of parents are limited to their consciousness. So it took me a, a couple of decades to see what that was. And I call that consciousness grace. And, you know, talking about the work that I've been doing about conscious business, I was a founding member of the Spirit and Business Conference in 2002 in New York City. So this whole idea of conscious business, spirit and business, right, um, conscious capitalism is over 20 plus years old. And I was shocked, Jeff, at the, at the Sheraton in New York City on 7th Avenue, there were 700 people who came from around the world to hear this idea about spirit in business, which I didn't even know existed. But when I heard about it, I said, I got to go. I got to I got to be part of this thing. But that was way before it actually became to fruition. Right. So it's been a 25 year journey of me helping businesses to see that it's what's in your consciousness that creates the results that you actually get in your business. Tell me about the friction or conflict, though, that you said you thought of you, you felt something bigger, right? Like you felt that there was a need for something bigger. You saw or felt that there was some connection between all of us or some, some bigger purpose. Right. And, you know, you could just say, I just decided to do that. And that's what I've been doing since the beginning. But I'm curious if you saw that there was something out there that you wanted to fix or something that was wrong. Was it more that you just saw this and said, that's what I want to do? Or did you see, was that more of a reaction to seeing something that was limited, something that was wrong, something that needed to be fixed or expanded upon? How did you arrive at wanting to do that? Was it a linear path or was there, was there something you kind of overcame to get there? Do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I do. I do. It's, it's, it's a great question. My hesitation is not because they didn't understand it. It's, it's such a, it's such an intricate important question. Let me see yeah. if I can be succinct. So over the years, I've learned that there's three things that help me shift my consciousness. And I think it applies to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. One are things that happen to you mm -hmm. that you didn't expect. Something happens. I'll give you a couple examples in a minute. Another one is something that you choose, the university that you go to, the job that you pick, uh, the spouse that you have, right? Mm -hmm. The business that you're in. And the third is a set of practices that you do on a daily basis, whether it would be meditation or yoga or exercise or being in nature. So those three things, things that happen to you, things that you choose to do, and then your own set of spiritual practices that allow your consciousness to expand. So back in the day when I started Opportunity Lab, you know, 35 plus years ago, I didn't understand that you could do well by doing good. There wasn't a concept of you could actually make a profit that was ethical, that was fair, that you'd be proud of by doing something good in the world. What I knew was I didn't want to do bad in the world. So I did not want to work for a tobacco company. I didn't want to work for an arms dealer. I didn't want to work for a pornographer. I didn't want to work for some business 
that had a negative impact in the world. So I, I had that as the filter. Then with the businesses that either were doing good or at least were neutral, it was more about the way that I helped these businesses treat their employees, work together, treat their customers. And then as it evolved, I said, wow, you could actually solve problems by providing something valuable and then making a profit. And maybe you could make a better profit because what you're doing has so much value. So for example, we have one of our clients is an electrical supply company out in California. So as they've seen the world go, they've realized it's 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 much more important for them to leave a legacy for their children to be in renewable energy, into being into environmental products, into being you know into sustainability than just to sell regular equipment that lights or powers you know a building. So that's kind of an evolution where we help them see wow there is so much opportunity in that, and we can actually help people live better in a building, live more sustainably, have a better world, and then everybody benefits. So now that doing well by doing good and doing good better are some concepts that are relatively new, and we've been working on those, the conscience behind that for, for, for a bit. There's so much there. One one thing I want to point out that I really love about your kind of like the, the three things that you mentioned is um, I often talk about, I'm a big fan of superheroes, and I often talk about how most super heroism, most superpower, it's super villainy too, but like most super abilities come from trauma and mm -hmm. it's either, you know, you're born with it a la Superman, uh, from the exploding planet of Krypton. You are, something happens to you, like you're bit by a radioactive spider or you have some mutation, you know, like the X-Men or you train like Batman. So very much in line, the idea is, you know, I look at it as if you're going to go out there and try and make a difference in the world, it's probably because one of those three types of traumas happen to you and you then want to go out and make a difference. So I really appreciate that there's there's a, a synergy and a parallelism between our, our two philosophies there. But you've brought up, um, you know, consciousness in business and doing uh, doing well by doing good, right? And this idea of the existence of conscious capitalism and that you can can make a living ethically. And I, I firmly believe that that is what we're after. Uh, all of us, if we're trying to do well in the world, right? So I'm I'm with you on that. I guess what I'm curious about in your experience, given you've been doing this a while, right? So you work with clients and you see a transformation in them. They, they have an aha, right? Maybe they're already about this. Maybe you have to convince them. So they have some sort of a transformation. And I guess what I'm curious about most, because this is something that I struggle with a lot, I chew on it, is that in this world of capitalism, you are incentivized by the market to keep your costs low, to maximize your profit. Uh, when you have those retained earnings and things like that, you can buy up the competition. Essentially, there is there is a um, strategic advantage to not doing good as you go about it. You know, sure, it, there there's a long term damage to the world and things like that. But but companies that pay their wage their laborers less and that use cheaper materials or that save here, save there, they have an implicit advantage in a competitive marketplace. So how do you convince companies? How do you state the case for doing well in the world and why that matters to sacrifice profits, why it matters to do the right thing versus um, you know, just taking the most profitable route? Like, How do you make that case? You've been doing it a long time. What's been most successful to kind of have people have that light bulb go off? I would say it's a it's a myth that it's a strategic advantage to exploit 
your employees, uh, the environment, and have the lowest cost. Now, does it exist for some companies for some period of time? Absolutely does. So is it a strategic advantage for some period of time? Yes, for some companies that it is. And I think that's also changing. So I'm not going to debate that it could be an advantage. Yes, there's a lot of examples where it is. On the other hand, let's let's take an example that that I think people can relate to. So Trader Joe's, right, does not pay people the least. They do have health care for their employees. They do treat their customers extremely well. Yes, they have uh, they do have low prices, but they have low prices on very high quality products that they spend a lot of time and energy sourcing as a private label, not as a brand that spends gazillions of dollars to make the brand without actually improving the product itself, right? So you have people who will stand in a line for an hour at Trader Joe's because they love that brand and they love the way they're treated in the store and they love what they get in the store, right? So Trader Joe's is an example of of a brand that's figured out how to do are they perfect uh certainly not but take a company like patagonia right so patagonia uh and north face by the way that the the founders of those two companies uh, doug thompson's and eve shayard were best friends and they became kind of business adversaries in a friendly way they bought a million acres of land in patagonia right in southern chile there was no strategic advantage there was no return but believe me, their customers and the people who love them, love them for doing that. Mm-hmm. They pay people to bring back their used jeans and their used jackets. They actually tell people, you don't buy something you don't need from us. So do they have the highest stock price? Are they are they the, the, the most wealthy company? No. However, their brand has existed. Uh, they're proud of it. And they have a certain level of wealth, Jeff, that's not only measured in money. People... The mythology is, well, I am wealthy because I have X number of dollars in the bank. Well, the, actually, the research on happiness shows that at some certain point for Americans, 75000 a year, $100,000 a year, making more money makes you actually less happy, right? If you make $25,000 a year, you are extremely unhappy. But once you hit that seventy five to hundred, now your happiness level tends to go down because your ability to spend time with the money you have goes down. Right. So we when we look at wealth, right, we look at time wealth, we look at freedom wealth, we look at creative wealth, and of course we look at material wealth because that's also important. So we shift the consciousness by actually having our clients write their eulogy and their personal mission statement. We have a whole process to do that. And I gotta tell you, Jeff, when they start to see number one, that their life is finite, which believe it or not, a lot of people don't accept, and that at some point it's gonna be more about their legacy than their current life. It actually makes a shift and they start they stop thinking about profit as only short term gain into what's the long term impact that I want to make in the world, which does include profit as part of it. I I 100 percent agree with that. And, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm always very skeptical of what's out there. And I think, you know, you made the point in a way that I think um, I can agree with, which is that there are definitely examples out there that we can point to of taking advantage of and exploiting and. And that obviously raising profits, you know, for example, using like prison labor and paying virtually nothing for it. Like it's a pretty straightforward example. But in the examples of two similar companies competing in a market and one taking the opportunity to do right by with what the customers want and and uh, acknowledging the reality of things like climate change, it's it's pretty obvious that there's a better way to go with those two things. Um, it, I'm curious about your experience with, um, con- you know, you you mentioned the eulogy exercise and working with the leaders of these companies 
Uh, there's kind of two things I'm curious about. One, you you use um, a phrase, um, conscious leadership, um, I believe is is the term you've used before. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about two things. One is in your work, are you primarily working with the leaders and then uh, relying on them to sort of sort of transform the culture into this more conscious way of doing things? Or is the method of your work to really work with all of the boots on the ground in an organization like what's what's the what's the change management um, kind of philosophy that you take towards doing this kind of work? Well, let's unpack the word conscious first because we use yeah. that word and sometimes we don't even know what it means, right? Yeah. So conscious, I would say a synonym to consciousness is awareness, right? So conscious is basically, I am aware of who I am, what I want to do in the world, what's my purpose here, and the impact that I want to have and the impact that I actually do have. Right. So awareness is understanding there are things that are out of my awareness that in order for me to be a really, really effective, happy person who reaches a a positive legacy, I've got to take in influences from outside of me. I have to have a 360 review and have people comment on me. I got to ask for feedback from my children, from my spouse, from my business partner, from my clients, because there's certainly blind spots that we all have. So a consciousness is really a value that I want to understand my influence in the world and how I can be the best person that I can be by taking in as much input from the outside. And of course, inside of me, my intuition, my spiritual practice as, as possible. Okay. So now conscious leadership is helping leaders be aware of what is their role? What's the outcome of their role? What are the values in which they operate under? Who are the people they're working with, both their customers, their associates, maybe if they have to report to somebody who are those, those folks, so the the answer to your question is, yeah, we work with the, the senior leaders, but we most always work with owners. We, we don't work with publicly traded companies for the most part because we need to understand the owner's willingness to make change. So we spend billions of dollars on leadership development, but I say unless there's ownership development, your leadership development could be worthless because leaders can want to do something if the owners who actually have an equity state in the company don't want to do it. It's not going to happen. So we start at the owner level and then we go from there into the next levels. And sometimes we work directly with the front line. We developed a program called Share Lab during COVID where we will help uh, our clients go into their organization and do a Share Lab, which is a combination of a focus group, a counseling session, and, and a town hall. Because at the beginning of COVID, we asked three questions of our clients' employees where are you calling from or where are you you know where are you from on zoom or whatever platform you're using what is inspiring you and what is troubling you we wanted to make sure our clients were really listening and caring for their employees who were radically traumatized by this crisis some more than others but certainly the collective trauma of all we had to go through so we do have programs that work directly with the with the frontline employees throughout the organization and then we have senior leadership programs our flagship program, which is the, the title of my book, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption, is really about developing a culture of opportunity so companies can continue to evolve their consciousness, evolve how they serve customers, how they serve associates in the communities they do business in by constantly thinking about you know, what is their success DNA, what is their year of opportunity that they want to have their best year ever, and how do they listen to opposing voices who might challenge something they're currently thinking because to continue to grow your consciousness, you have to continue to challenge it. 
I love that you brought up the point about working with owners um, because I immediately thought of shareholders and how shareholders can often be owners in in name uh, across multiple businesses, but they don't necessarily have a stake, right? Whereas owners who are owners of the company, they're maybe owner managers of the company and it's part of their legacy versus one of their investments. Those are vastly different things. And I really appreciate bringing in that idea of ownership and how that also extends down to the folks that you'd be working with and bringing that idea of conscious leadership uh, throughout the company. So I just want to appreciate that. And, uh, and I love that you brought that point up. The um, You had mentioned a couple things about um, the first three things that you would say on those Zoom calls, right? So that leads me to sort of very tactical thinking here. If people listening right now are trying to make sense of connecting the 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 dots between what is what is conscious leadership and how do I get there what are some of the sort of first steps you would encourage someone to start thinking about um, uh, things actions you would want them to start doing very practical tip takeaway for like you leave listening to this episode maybe you're in the car right now you're driving to work what's something that they can start doing boots on the ground or you know fiddling around with ideas in their head to start thinking about how they can become a more conscious leader how they can start influencing their business culture what are some of those things that you would recommend someone start actually doing so big picture as i mentioned earlier you know doing our workshop which is called the power of purpose which is writing your eulogy writing your personal mission statement you know you could reach out to us at discover@oplab.com at and we'll send you a worksheet just just because we care about you and we want you to do good. So the other practical thing is I believe everybody has a deep wisdom that is within their consciousness that we often don't tap into. So in, in my book, you know, there is uh, the principles of conscious leadership. One of them is we call the quiet mind of the conscious leader. So the most practical thing you can do, Jeff, is actually quiet your mind and really see what's happening in that part of you that holds the wisdom that actually will help you figure out what to do. So that could be through meditation. It could be through yoga. It could be being in nature. For some people, it's swimming. It's biking. It's some kind of physical exercise, right? For some people, it's psychedelics. There's a you know, whole movement in psychedelic community, uh, you know, which is getting people to be more aware of what's going on in their wisdom inside of themselves. So quieting your mind, because the mind has 60 to 80,000 thoughts every day, and most of them are repetitive and not very useful. So when you quiet the mind and you actually see there could be some intuition that actually will tell you exactly what to do, who to call, who to talk to, what not to do. Uh, so that's a. it, it may sound uh, very esoteric, but it actually is very practical, and there's a lot of ways you can quiet the mind. I love, I love that. And um, one thing I wanted to um, suggests because it helped me is, um, you know, throughout my life, I've, I think I've been pretty good about listening to the voice inside about what should I be doing next? Where should I be going? What, what do I want to tackle? What's important. But in a recent, um, sort of like life shift. And when I was trying to figure out what to do at a certain point in my career, I hit a, a bit of a crossroads. I found that it was actually, um, conversations with people who knew me really well that could point out things that I might not have been able to see and kind of priming the pump for that quiet time by speaking with people who could shed light on some things that maybe I couldn't see. My wife was amazingly useful for this. I had calls with a number of speakers and authors and consultants and folks that I know that are, you know, really brilliant and um, have a lot of success and happiness in their career. 
And I talked with them and they kind of gave me some insights. And then when I went and thought after all of those conversations, um, on the one hand, you have a little bit of influence from the outside, but you're trying on these ideas. You're thinking through them. You're trying to say, does that resonate? Does that fit? Does that land? Are any of these stirring up anything for me? There's talking with your therapist. That's another one, right? So um, all of these, and, and you mentioned psychedelics, I feel like all of these are good examples of um, sometimes you just kind of need to get the wheels turning, but you have, you know, what you said, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Um, once you get into that point where you're quieting down, you want to make sure that whatever you've been feeding in that's that's driving those thoughts are things that are going to help you arrive at the right place. Well, I love that, uh, Jeff, because that's really courageous. And having listened to several of your recent episodes of your podcast, you know, the curiosity with Julie Pham and the brains at work with your partner, Sarah, I just love your ability to be vulnerable, your ability to be courageous, to be curious. And yeah, the, the the people who know you the best are the the best people to help you with the blind spots because they love you, but they're also they they're honest, and that's that's how they show their love with caring honesty, right? With 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 warm uh, insights that are meant to support you. So yeah, and and sometimes it's hard, it's painful to see the things that you want to see, but when a loved one who you know has your best interest in mind tells you it, it has deeper meaning because it's much more relevant, but it also has deeper meaning because you know that they're going to be there to support you. So yeah, I love that. It's a brilliant, brilliant way to do it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and it and thank you for the kind words about uh, previous episodes. I uh, I truly do come here and and just try to be open and um, let my guests kind of take me on a journey with them and and let you know I'm just always grateful if people come in with their unique expertise and perspective and I get to just have some time talking with them. So Mark, you've you're I feel like I could talk to you for hours about these things. So I'm going to suggest that at some point. You should come back. I know you're a, a repeat guest on other podcasts and and I can totally see why now. So I'd love to have you back. But while we're still here, um, and as we kind of, I want to move into the shareables next, I'm hoping you can sum up some of the things that we've talked about uh, into a clear takeaway for someone listening. You know, we gave a little bit of um, practical tips, things people could do. We've talked through a little bit of um, kind of what led you to this idea of conscious leadership. And, and we've touched on a lot of different things, but if someone's listening here and they're they're interested, they're they're kind of energized by it, and you wanted them to take away and walk away with one thing um, that you hope, either whether you've said it or not, comes through loud and clear as an outcome from our conversation and the work you do. What would you say that thing is that you would want someone to take away from this episode? Well, I'm going to go back to our company's mission, and I'll also give the uh, the tweak of that mission if you're not in business. So the, our mission is to support business growth through expanding consciousness. So the simple thread is to actually have an active wish to grow your business and grow it in a conscious way where you're aware of the impact it has on the world. You're aware of your own values and how you want those values to be expressed in your business. And I would say, you know, support personal growth through expanding consciousness. As you just said, asking for feedback from your spouse, from your partner, from your clients, from your therapists, right? That is expanding your consciousness by getting uh, your understanding. You're, it, we're all interdependent, right? So part of expanding consciousness is acknowledging I am not independent in this world. I, li I live in a network of interdependent relationships. So that's that's my succinct way of saying what we just talked about for the last half an hour or so. I love it. and And I'm so with that because I think one of the things that folks that are doing work like you. And I, I like to think that in some ways I'm, I'm tangentially or in some ways uh, in a similar boat, but 
I think when we're trying to do work around making your work be more than just the profit you generate, um, you're up against a narrative and a narrative of, um, you know, the self-made man, so to speak, and that the um, it's, you know, the the brilliant genius who runs the company and, and that's who everyone has to thank for their wealth and their growth. I like that we have to kind of deconstruct that a bit. We have to look at it and and illuminate what should be pretty obvious, which is that we can't do anything without each other. We can't do anything without cooperation. We can't do anything without collaboration. And if given the chance, we should try and make life better for everybody who our business and who our lives touch. And I love that you're out there doing that work. Um, so I hope that you'll come back and we can talk more about these things. Uh, but for now, I want to move into um, some shareables, which are just some things that I want you know, things that you recommend, things that you're willing to share with people, um, just real quick, a couple, a couple things, um, so that people walking away with this have a few things that they can take that are recommendations from you. Um, so the first one is what's something that you've read recently that you would recommend other people read? So my daughter and I started a book club, just the two of us, father, Ooh, daughter book club. That's awesome. Right at the beginning of the pandemic. So one thing that I'll, I'll recommend to parents as your kids get older it becomes more difficult to be a part of their life, right? So if you're living in the same house in the same neighborhood, it's a lot easier, but many parents live far away from their kids. Now, my daughter is at two miles from here, but even two miles, you know, I'm not in her life every day. So mm -hmm. when I was uh, a dad, when she was growing up, I helped her with her homework. I helped her coach her, you know, her um, softball team. I was a fan at her um field hockey team, I was involved in school activities, all that kind of thing, right? But when you, your kid is an adult, it's harder. So my daughter loves to read. She could read 50, 60 books a year. And I so I said, pick the books that you love that you think I would love. So we started that. We've probably read about 50 books in the last uh, three years. So one of the books, one of the early books we read is called Daisy Jones and the Six, which was just made into an Amazon Prime series. And the reason I recommend that book, it's about a fictitious rock band that started in the early 70s and they became famous and they flamed out in 1979. They're loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. So these are a group of musicians who came from Pittsburgh. One of them came from Los Angeles. That's the Daisy Jones character. But what I love about them, these are all people who had big dreams and passions and artistic sensibilities, but they had the demons of thinking that they weren't good enough and they couldn't. They couldn't actually realize their dreams. So it's it's an ongoing story of how they rose and what they did together. Uh, they were interdependent in this band and what eventually split them apart. So the fact that I read it with my daughter was fantastic. The fact that it's now a TV show and I can see how they did it on screen is fantastic. And I learned so much from the way this book was constructed. So highly recommend Daisy Jones and the Six as a book or as as a TV series. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, that is not one that probably would have made it onto my reading list. So I appreciate when something uh, totally random comes in. Um, what's something you've listened to that you would recommend? It could be a podcast, it could be an audiobook, it could be an album, it could be a song, it could be anything that is uh, magic for your ears. I'm going to give you another one that you wouldn't have thought of uh, and that maybe some people on your audience don't know about. So I, as I mentioned, I do a lot of meditation and sometimes it's just more traditional uh, transcendental meditation or Vipassana or breathing, but sometimes I need somebody to help me. So I found on YouTube, there are some amazing guided meditations. And there's a particular one that I love. Uh, the woman's name is Rasa, R-A-S-A. -A, uh, her, her kind of, uh, I think, name on YouTube is Pura Rasa, P-U-R-A, Pura Rasa. She has hundreds of meditations on 
healing trauma, on grief, on uh, abundance, on meeting your spirit guides, on connecting with God, on finding you know your romantic partner. They're so beautifully wrought and they're so incredibly well-constructed and her voice is so pristine. I could be in meditation with some of those for a couple of hours at, at a time. So I, I if you go to YouTube and it, you could see Pura Rasa, there's also uh, Generation Calm, Jason Stevenson is another one. So I think guided meditations with an amazing guide and literally, uh, Jeff, I think that she's in the room with me. These are so well constructed. They use music, they use sound vibration. So I use that a lot and it's very, very incredibly powerful. I love it. Uh, and I am, I am, uh, I'm definitely going to check that out. I am a big fan of guided meditation and I, I think you're right. The, the narrator is really important. I'll just say that I've used a couple different apps and I'll say, um, the calm app, I've just found that some of the, um, guided meditations, I just didn't really like the person's voice and I just had a hard time getting into it. And then I've had others, uh, even on the calm app, but on others where, um, where the voice actually helps me to kind of, it's something about the vibration or the tone or whatever that, and, or the way they enunciate their words and things like that really makes a big difference. So I'm going to check that out. Um, what's something you've watched recently that you would recommend? It could be a show. It could be a Ted talk. It could be really anything. So you may have re remembered, or you, you saw it at the time back in 2018, there were 12 kids, boys from a soccer team that were trapped in a cave in Thailand. So there are multiple documentaries and scripted films. The one that I, I watched several times recently is called The Trap 13. Uh, it's actually a documentary. It's on Netflix. And it's about how these kids got trapped in this cave. And they were without food for 10 days. They didn't get rescued for 17 days. For most of that time, they didn't even know anybody was knew where they were. So it's a brilliant story about how nations collaborated, how different people came together. There were 8,000 volunteers from Thailand who helped take millions of gallons of water out of this cave so they could actually rescue these kids. And there were divers who came from all over the world and risked their lives from Australia, from the UK, uh, the Thai Navy SEALs. It's a brilliant, brilliant uh, documentary. Uh, and I think it's very inspiring and you learn a lot from that. Very cool. I'll add that to the list. All right, final uh, shareable question, which is what is something you've learned that you want to share? And usually what I'm looking for here is something uh, random. This is like the Google question. You have a thought and you go to Google or Wikipedia and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So that's kind of what the nature of this question is. So what's something you've learned recently that you think is interesting and worth sharing? Uh, that's a curveball to me because the thing, because I, 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 I was going to tell you the thing that I keep learning, it's really difficult, is that I am going to die one day. Now that that may not be a random thing. I didn't find that on Google. Thank goodness. But the reason the reason that's so important is that we have a society which denies the fact that we are limited. That that denies death, right? So we do so many things because somehow we think that someday we're going to get to do it. Someday the world is going to wake up and 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 improve itself. Well, you know what? We have one life, and whether you live a hundred years or whether you live twenty years. Uh, it really, to me, it means that life is precious. Human life is sacred. Everything I do is important every day. You know, not not to not to be over serious about. It. I love to have fun and and joke and all that. But I want to make sure that I, I I live a very conscious life and understanding. At one point, it's not going to be there, and I want to live a legacy. 
So that's the one thing that I keep learning over and over again, because it's, it's a hard thing to learn, but it's, it's something important. I think. I think that that beats anything you could have said that you just randomly Googled. So um, I want you to take a moment to tell people where they can get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, find you leading the way. So where can people go and connect with you? So we have a really, really extraordinary website. It's oplab.com, O-P-P-L-A-B.com. And we have a lot of free resources. We have some assessments. We have some quizzes. We have a lot of podcast episodes that I've been on. We have a newsletter you can subscribe to. If you want to reach out to my team, uh, discover at oplab.com, schedule a consultation with us on the phone. We can find out a little bit about what you need and if we could serve you or or if we have a network of people that we can serve you that will help you um, on Amazon. My book, uh, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in Age of Disruption is available in a Kindle form. It's also available in print. So I think those are the best ways you can connect with us and with me. Awesome. I'm putting them on the show notes right now. Um, okay. Um, so here's highlight. You, you've listened to my show, so you know how you know there's a going here, but I like to close out the episodes with gratitude and I like to uh, make it about you and uh, someone from your life that you want to express some gratitude directly to. So in this case, uh, I always like to do it with the phrase, the lovable leader, because that is my book. And Generally, when I say lovable leader, almost everyone I've ever said that phrase to thinks of someone from their past, not always a boss, not always somebody that they worked with. Sometimes it's a parent. Sometimes it was a friend, a family friend, uh, a coach. It could be anything. But when I say lovable leader, I'm, I'm thinking there's probably someone that comes to your head. It's a person that cared about you, someone that you trusted. They probably trusted you and that you felt safe around them to pursue your biggest and highest loftiest ambitions and goals. That's a lovable leader in my mind. So when you think about who that person is, what I'd like to happen next is I'm going to mute myself and give you an opportunity to talk directly to that person. I'm going to fade into the background. And as soon as you're done saying whatever you want to say to them, it could be as much or as little. Uh, that'll be the end of the episode. Oh, thank you, Jeff. So I'm going to share my love for this lovable leader. His name is Teddy Thornton. He was a member of our family. Uh, he lived with us. He helped us. You know, we, we, we moved to the country when I was eight and a half, we moved to a place which needed a lot of work, uh, overgrown shrubs, weeds, uh, you know, construction that had to happen. Uh, my father was working many, many hours a day, didn't have a lot of time for his kids. He had a very traumatic childhood himself. So Teddy was a very, very lovable leader, kind of a second father to my brother and I. And he taught us how to fish. He taught us how to play baseball. He took us to his apartment. We stayed there. He was a big fan of semi-professional softball. So we used to watch that in his home in Long Island City. And he just cared about us uh, the way he would about his own children. Uh, and he was such a positive, optimistic person and a funny person that I just have deep gratitude for for Teddy. And you know, hopefully he's out there and his soul is listening to this. And I just want to make sure he feels appreciated. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader 
which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.